The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank believes communities thrive when individuals succeed. Working together, we can help create economic opportunity for all. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, June 17th. In today's news, President Trump fires three of his pollsters over the leak of embarrassing internal numbers. John Roberts tries to show the Supreme Court is apolitical, but two very political decisions loom. And as the price of insulin soars, more Americans are caravanning to Canada to buy the life-saving medicine. But first, the big idea. Iran threatened overnight to increase its uranium stockpile limit set by the 2015 nuclear deal in the next 10 days. The country said it has already sped up its production of low-enriched uranium. Tehran denies claims by the Trump administration that it's seeking to build a nuclear bomb, but on Monday, Iran also announced enrichment targets that would put it in the proximity of the levels needed to build a weapon. The backers of the Iran nuclear deal long argued that that was the best way to prevent the very scenario threatened on Monday. Despite this, Trump announced his withdrawal from the Obama-era agreement last year. China, Russia, and three European nations, Germany, France, and Britain, have stuck with it, arguing that while the deal may not be perfect, it's still the best way to prevent Iran from getting the bomb. Iran initially appeared willing to stick to its commitments despite the U.S. withdrawal, but more recently has put pressure on the remaining backers of the agreement. In early May, Iran gave Europe 60 days to comply with a number of conditions to save the deal without U.S. backing. Tehran threatened it would otherwise resume uranium enrichment above the limits agreed to in 2015. Monday's announcement by the spokesman for Iran's nuclear agency indicates that efforts to resume enrichment could begin even sooner than initially threatened. This is coming against the backdrop of last week's attacks on two oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman. U.S. allies today are pushing the Trump administration for more evidence linking Iran to what happened. Japan and Germany have both requested something more than the grainy video released by the Pentagon that appears to show an Iranian patrol boat removing an item said to be an unexploded mine from one of the ships. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said in appearances on CBS's Face the Nation and Fox News Sunday that he spent much of the weekend talking with his counterparts in foreign capitals. It was an implicit acknowledgement that he has work to do to convince the world that the U.S. accusations against Iran, which has denied responsibility, are true. Bigger picture, though, it lays bare a credibility problem burdening the Trump administration. Pompeo said some countries would just like this to go away but he called it a fundamental right of every country to travel through the international waters of the Strait of Hormuz, which he said Iran is attempting to deny. Nevertheless, the uncertainty persists. Some of it is rooted in a suspicion of Trump, who has made numerous misleading statements in the past, to put it mildly. Some is focused on the National Security Advisor, John Bolton, who advocated the 2003 invasion of Iraq on the faulty assertion that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. And some of the skepticism is because of Pompeo. In laying out a litany of Iran's behavior in recent weeks, Pompeo said Tehran was behind a May 31st car bomb in Kabul as a U.S. convoy was passing by. Four U.S. service members were lightly injured. The Taliban claimed responsibility for that, but Pompeo said the Taliban claim should not be believed. This is why credibility counts. You need to tell the truth about the little things so that people believe you on the big things. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start the week. Number one, the Trump re-election campaign cut ties with three of its pollsters after the leak of internal numbers showed the president losing badly to Joe Biden. The campaign is severing its relationships with Brett Lloyd, Mike Basseline, and Adam Geller while keeping pollsters Tony Fabrizio and John McLaughlin on the payroll. 
Data from a 17-state internal poll conducted by Fabrizio showed Trump trailing Joe Biden by double digits in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, and Michigan. Trump won all four of those states in 2016. Privately, the president was livid these numbers got out. One senior administration official says he's madder that the numbers are out than that the numbers exist. The disclosure of the polling data has upended what has been actually a relatively smooth-running re-election operation so far, and it highlights the stark challenges that the president faces in forging a coalition to repeat his 2016 victory. Tomorrow night in Florida, the president will formally kick off his 2020 campaign. Number two, decisions in... All of the 24 remaining cases on the Supreme Court's docket are expected in the next week or two. Some could come as early as today. Chief Justice John Roberts wants to assure the American people that his Supreme Court is apolitical. But the biggest cases of the term involve two of the most politically consequential decisions that the court has made in years. One initiative is whether to include a citizenship question in the 2020 census, which has fueled a partisan showdown on Capitol Hill. The other could outlaw partisan gerrymandering techniques that were essential to Republican dominance at the state and congressional level over the past decade. Roberts sits physically at the middle of the bench in the grand courtroom. And now, for the first time since he joined the court in 2005, he's at the center of the court's ideological spectrum, too. With the retirement of Anthony Kennedy last summer, the most important justice on the Roberts court is now Roberts himself. Roberts in the past has shown himself to be far more conservative than Kennedy, and just Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg suggested during a recent speech that that has not changed. Number three, in the United States, insulin can cost hundreds of dollars per vial. In Canada, you can buy it without a prescription for a tenth of that price. That's why Lija Greenside, a rule-abiding mom from Minnesota, drives her Mazda on cross-border drug runs. Her daughter, who's 13, has type 1 diabetes. She paid $1,200 recently for drugs up north that would have cost her $12,000 in the United States. More than 30 million Americans have diabetes. About 7.5 million, including 1.5 million with type 1 diabetes, rely on insulin. Between 2012 and 2016, the cost of insulin for treating type 1 diabetes nearly doubled. It was a Canadian who invented insulin. Frederick Banting began the work that led to the discovery of the drug nearly a century ago. When Banting co-discovered insulin in the early 1920s, he balked at commercializing it because he thought it was unethical to profit from such a critical drug. He eventually sold his share of the patent to the University of Toronto for $1 in the hope that the drug would remain widely accessible and affordable. In the nearly 100 years since then, insulin has become a lifeline for millions. But the price in the United States, bizarrely, continues to surge. Pharmaceutical companies, under pressure from lawmakers in both parties, have given rebates to some poorer patients, but many who rely on insulin still struggle. Large numbers resort to rationing, a dangerous and sometimes deadly practice. Increasingly, some diabetics and their families are taking matters into their own hands. They meet in coffee shops and strip mall parking lots to exchange emergency supplies. An unknown number travel outside the country to get the drug. None of this is recommended by U.S. officials. Indeed, Some of it might be illegal under FDA guidelines. But several parents we've spoken with say they're willing to break the law to save their kids' lives. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, June 17th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.